2024. Everybody has an opinion for an informed opinion. We turn to political commentator Gareth Van Onselen, who has been doing ongoing analysis. Welcome, Gareth. Thank you. May we start with the electoral politics of the multi-party charter, the likely collective performance the charter is to have in the upcoming elections and the likely winners and losers within the charter? Um, yes, indeed. So, I mean, just to explain a bit of context, this analysis is basically based off a number of essays that I've written uh, for my blog, which is called Inside Politics, if anyone wants to find them. Um, and the th thing that I'm trying to achieve is rather than just have these sort of subjective opinions of who people think will do well and won't well is won't do well is to have a really kind of data-driven analysis of what's possible and what's not possible so that it's very heavily grounded in statistics um, and previous electoral performances and the numbers that accompany those. So one of the pieces that I did, as, as you intimate, is on the multi-party charter. And what it demonstrates essentially, if you look at the 10 parties that comprise the charter, um, are some fairly obvious facts which are apparent on face value, but they're worth setting out, which is the degree to which the DA dominates the charter. I mean, 76% of all the votes in the charter of those 10 parties come from the DA. Um, and then at the other end of the, the spectrum, you know, there's six parties inside that um, coalition which have never stood in a national provincial election before, or, or they did and they've vanished, basically. So you have at the other end of the spectrum a whole lot of parties that are really going to battle to get a single seat at all. Um, they're really unknown. They're really small. Um, and that kind of presents a number of political problems um, for the members of the charter. The one is those parties that fall in the middle, parties like the ACDP and Freedom Front and Action South Africa, are heavily reliant on the DA for the charter to perform well. Um, as are the smaller parties, which are going to rely heavily on those other parties in order to be able to be part of something meaningful, because if they can't deliver a seat, their ability to influence the charter at the negotiating table is going to be naught. Um, there are a whole lot of other aspects to the charter that I looked at, which I mean, I'm happy to talk about now. One is, you know, what the election data says about what happens to smaller parties when they join a coalition. And, and I looked at the 2006 Cape Town coalition. And essentially what happened over time between the two, two elections, um, between 2006 and, and 2011, was every member of that coalition who was a small party, in other words, outside of the DA, sort of vanished from the electoral landscape or were severely damaged by the coalition. And, and the DA vote exploded in 2011. And that's one of the downsides of coalitions for smaller parties is that the big majority party tends to dominate. It kind of eats up the support of the smaller parties over time. And it's something that I think these coalition, multi-party um, charter coalition partners are going to have to be very wary of. How do you rate the prospects of parties that have broken away from the African National Congress? It kind of depends on how substantial the breakaway is. So... You know, two examples of very successful breakaway parties, at least initially, are COPE, which, you know, almost got 8% in its first election, or 7%, uh, 
and the EFF, which again almost came in at about eight percent or so. And I mean, that's really difficult to do in South African politics. If you're a new party starting from scratch and you can't take any infrastructure or political capital from an existing party, it's both massively expensive and massively onerous in terms of human resources to get going. So those parties made a really big impact. Cope couldn't sustain it, and <clears throat> infighting saw that party uh, collapse subsequent to that election. The EFF has sustained their initial position and built on it a bit. So it is possible to break away from the ANC so long as you take a substantial chunk of the party with you. But there are other examples, as you intimate, of parties that have failed to do that. I mean, the UDM broke away amongst much fanfare, or at least Bantu Holomisa did and started the UDM and, um, in 1999. And he only ever really secured a couple of percent and has vanished down to sort of naught point something percent since then. And that's probably a result of, of him being so regional, so isolated, and, and the breakaway so small. Now, with all these opposition parties, why could it still be really hard for them to drag the African National Congress below 51%? So I think the thing that people forget is just how big the ANC is, um, mainly because a lot of the analysis we do is percentage-based. Um, and that's understandable, and it's an important part of understanding the electoral landscape. But in absolute terms, the ANC really has a huge number of votes. I mean, at its peak, it was between 12 and 10 million. It's still pretty much around 10 million. And the number of votes that you need to lose, or at least that the ANC needs to lose, to drop below 50% is really substantial. It has to lose more votes than it lost in 2019. So its decline has to accelerate um, from 2019. There's no real... Um, prospect of it dropping below 50% if it declines at the same rate or even a, a lower rate. So that's already one big ask. You're not just saying the ANC must decline. It must decline at a faster rate than it's ever declined before. And given the amount of effort that the ANC is putting into electioneering, it's going to have some effect on the, its rate of decline. I mean, the ANC will still decline, I think, but we have yet to see and we'll have to wait for some more recent polls as to what that kind of rate of decline looks like. The other critical factor in bringing the ANC below 50% is you need a very particular kind of turnout scenario. You need ANC voters to stay away in large numbers, which they have done in the past. But simultaneously, you need opposition voters to come out in huge numbers, which is historically difficult for the opposition to do in national elections. They're very good at doing it in provincial elections. So you need that combination of two factors to work together. You need ANC voters to be alienated and stay away or not vote, or ideally switch to another party. And you need opposition voters across the board, all opposition parties, to come out in huge numbers. And those are both very difficult things to do on a huge scale. They might happen on a small or a medium scale, but you need them to happen on a big scale for the ANC to drop below 50%. It is possible. It's an outlier scenario. What about Gauteng, where ANC support is on a knife edge? How could, or how would an adverse provincial result affect the national result? So, I mean, the two provinces where, as things stand, and based on previous elections, it's most likely that the ANC will fall below 50% are Gauteng and KwaZulu-Natal. 
And there are a couple of reasons for that. The one is that the ANC has already dipped below 50% twice in Kauteng in local government elections and uh, once in KZN, also in a local government elections. Um, but secondly, because they have very large, particularly Kauteng urban centers, which is where the ANC is at its weakest. Um, so you have the right kind of environment there for the sort of ingredients that I spoke about earlier. You know, low ANC turnout, high opposition turnout, because those places are more or less, and particularly Kauteng, favorable towards opposition voters. The, both those parties are, are absolutely critical, not just to the ANC, but to parties like the DA, because they're so populous that the vast majority of support for the ANC, if you look at its total support base, uh, and for the DA, come from places like Kharteng and KZN. So if the ANC does collapse in a serious way in those places, it will fundamentally hurt its its national percentage, which makes sense. You know, if the majority of votes come from a certain place and your vote goes down, obviously it's going to hurt you nationally. Um, but the risk to the ANC is is almost doublefold. You know, they risk losing big and powerful provincial governments, but then also seriously damaging their national percentage. Talking about Natal, where it has traditionally been between Encarta Freedom Party and the African National Congress, we now have the party MK endorsed by former President Jacob Zuma. How could that affect uh, the outcome of elections there, Gareth? So the short-term answer to that is we don't know. Uh, obviously, it's a new party, so there's no historical data for us to look at to see historical trends and patterns and where its strengths and weaknesses are. You can make some assumptions based on how the ANC performed under Jacob Zuma, you, one must be careful with those also. I mean, a lot of people say, well, the ANC lost a certain percentage, significant percentage of votes under Jacob Zuma, and therefore those votes are all available to Zuma. That's partially true, but his market is probably bigger than that um, because between the ANC and the IFP, they've been trading millions of votes for 20 years, and there's just a huge market of fluidity in KZN. It's also true that um, you know, a kind of Zulu nationalism in KZN is a very powerful political force. And the person who's best able to exemplify that tends to do very well too. Ultimately, we need to wait for some polls, and, and I'm sure there'll be a few coming in the couple of months to give us a real read of where that party is. But I would say in terms of potential, and, and just to be clear, potential is not what you actually get. It just means what you your maximum potential could be if you did everything perfectly and all the cards fell in the right kind of way and you had the money and the resources. I would say Zuma is capable of getting 5 to 10% nationally. Um, and, I, and I think his market is not just KZN. I think that's the primary market. Um, but I think he could get a few votes in Kauteng as well. Um, and then some bits and pieces other way, uh, elsewhere. But yeah, those two markets, KZN in particular, are, are I think where his biggest strength lies. And the potential. Free State, surely. And the Free State, surely, because Ace Mahashiru's uh, act has thrown its support behind MK. No, I, do, I don't think the Free State at all. I mean, the ANC's vote is fundamentally declining in the Free State and declined with Ace Mahashiru as the leader. Um, I don't think he carries any real sway as an individual in, in the free state. Um, 
There are a number of small municipalities in the Free State on the border with KZN, which tend to vote in the same way KZN does. And he might have some small appeal, but they have such tiny populations that they're not going to impact his national percentage in any way. What sense do you make of Dudizani Zuma, President Zuma's son, starting a party separate from the one being endorsed by his father? I think it's entirely inconsequential, to be frank. But what sense do you make of it? Uh, do you think there is a strategy uh, uh, behind it? Perhaps well, just to bait, uh, to bleed votes from the African National Congress. What what do you think? Because his party ap- appeals to it to to a different sector of the community. No. Um, well, it's very difficult to know what his appeal is or to who it is. But the I mean the fundamental problem is that he has is he's far less of a public known figure than his father is, um, and in fact, in terms of real voters probably has quite a relatively small name recognition. Um, So A, he's competing with his father, essentially. B, he's um, far less known. And C, and most importantly, there's only a couple of months to go until an election. And I mean, unless you are a huge profile personality or you're a breakaway or you're taking some big chunk of another party with you, it's next to impossible to start a new political party from zero three months out of an election. I mean, even if you had 200 million rand, you, you might be lucky to get a seat or two. So, you know, he could scrape together a few percent in KZN, maybe if he has an amazing election. I don't think so. Well, that will be quite interesting when it comes to alliances uh, after the election to see who pairs up with whom. May we go to the Western Cape then, uh, where the Democratic Alliance is under threat from smaller parties. How do you see that playing out, Karis? Yeah, so this is another one of the essays I've did on the situation in the Western Cape. And um, the DA situation is basically this, that it, its majority in that province looks relatively stable. And if you look at long-term historical trends, it did decline a bit um, in the 2019 election, but it seems more or less stable above 50%. Its problem is that its decline is not coming at the expense of the ANC, but of a wide variety of smaller parties, which typically have some kind of nationalistic or populist ideology, which is very difficult for the DA to compete with um, because it considers, A, it's a party of government, so it has to be far more reasonable. It can't play the kind of populist politics that a lot of opposition parties can, and new parties in in particular, because they have no historical record to compare what they say against. So they can kind of promise the world, um, but also they can take really, you know, dangerous positions in some hands, particularly on issues like illegal immigration, which is a very fraught issue and needs to a great deal of sensitivity and empathy to deal with, um, that the DA can't really compete with. And it's getting attacked on a lot of fronts by these small parties that are all taking small bites out of it. And so the DA's fundamental battle in this election is going to be to protect its core support base from those smaller parties. Um, which I think it should do, and its majority should be fine. Again, it's still a while to go to the election, but all evidence suggests that it's solid in the Western Cape. It does pose a longer-term problem for the DA, which is 
I mean, what's going to play out in this election will be what's going to play out in every election to come for the DA, unless it can grow its support significantly above 50%. And to do that, it needs to break into, you know, former ANC voters, essentially, that market. I mean, it, it dominates the colored votes in the Western Cape. It dominates the Indian vote, such as it is in the Western Cape and KZN, and it absolutely dominates the kind of white constituency, but black voters, former ANC voters, alienated voters that have dropped out of the pool, it seems to do far worse. And unless it just wants to spend its life kind of fighting for a 50% majority, it needs to find a way to break into those other markets in a substantial way, as opposed to the small way it has at the moment. Um, to, to just give itself some more breathing. Okay, to go to foreign funding for the various parties, I see uh, certain parties, officials and leaders have made frequent trips to the United States. And I understand from one source that the African National Congress's uptick in financial fortunes um, cannot be laid at the door of Iran, but at is thanks to a certain Russian oligarch who had bailed out the party before. So we see um, this election also as a battle between superpowers. How would you encapsulate that? Well, I mean, the long and the short of it is we don't know where the ANC gets its money from. We do know that two months ago it was basically bankrupt and a month ago it announced it had fully funded its election campaign, so it has miraculously got a vast amount of money by its own admission from somewhere. Um, I don't, I mean, my problem is that <clears throat> I don't think that's exceptional in any way if it is some dubious donor who's funding the ANC. I mean, I think the ANC's history of funding, um, and it's well documented, you know, over 30 years, has seen it attract funds from some of the most brutal right-wing authoritarian dictators in global history. So it would kind of be par for the course as far as I'm concerned. Um, I mean, the ANC is fully aligned with the kind of uh, Eastern Bloc as far as international affairs go, China, Russia, the likes. Um, and so it would make sense that some funding would come from that universe. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's anything new. Now, with all the analysis that you've done, and with only a few months to go to the elections, what is the bottom line for our viewers? What can we expect? Well, I, I'm not going to give you any predictions, but the, the bottom line is that the most crucial factor in this election, and the thing that people need to really pay attention to because it's going to be the determining factor in this election, both with regards to whether the ANC drops below 50% or not, and with regards to various provincial administrations uh, and whether or not coalitions can be formed there, is turnout. Turnout is the thing on which this election turns. If turnout is the same as last time, uh, at least drops at the same rate as it did last time, which was significant, it was about seven points it dropped down, the ANC will be fine to get above 50%. It'll decline and it'll drop much closer to the 50% mark, but it should still be fine above 50%. If that turnout scenario that I alluded to earlier can be generated, where the ANC voters stay away in significant numbers and the opposition vote outcomes in huge numbers, and this has happened once or twice in our history in the 2000 elections and to a certain extent in 2016, 
mostly local government elections. If that can be replicated at a national level and at, in 2024, then a lot of different cards are on the table. As a caveat to that, just to say, I mean, I think one of the problems with much contemporary analysis is this obsession with the 50% barrier in the ANC. And I understand that it's you know a big symbolic metaphor if the ANC does drop below 50%, but I, I think in order for the ANC to actually fall out of national power and not be able to cobble together some coalition of like-minded small parties, even before you consider the EFL, it really needs to drop down to about 45% and below. And that is incredibly difficult to do. So 50% is a nice democratic metaphor for the way in which the country's democracy is unfolding and you know change in government options. But as far as hard power goes, you, you need the ANC to drop by almost 10 points or more. And that's a really tough ask. Okay, so you're saying it's going to be very difficult for the ANC to lose the election? To lose national power. It is very mm. difficult. You need an outlier scenario as things stand for that to happen. Yeah. Thank you. That was political commentator Gareth von Onselen speaking to Biz News. I'm Christine. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you.